and welcome to the Good Sports Podcast, diving deep into the world of sport for development. My name's David Terrace, and I'm joined by fellow Good Sports, Sarah Begg and Lee Booth. Hiya! Hello! We've got quite a lot to cover on this episode, so we're going to hand it straight over to Simon Lansley from Connect Sport. Hi, this is Simon Lansley, bringing you the latest news from the world of sport for good. So, another international day of sport for development pieces come and gone. April 6 marks the Global Day of Celebration, if you didn't already know. You can still catch up with highlights from the day by visiting the special section dedicated to the International Day on sportandev.org. In particular, check out the series of articles from international NGOs such as UNICEF, War Child, Right to Play and United Purpose, explaining why they use sport to achieve their aims. Our thanks to the Bond Sport for Development and Peace Group in London for helping to coordinate this important series of articles. Our hope is that other development and aid agencies will see the value of sport and join the growing movement. The 2019 Beyond Sport Global Awards have opened for entries. Over the past decade, the awards have celebrated and supported some of the most innovative projects using sport to trigger positive social change across the world. The deadline for entries is June the 7th, and this year there will be an even greater focus on how sport is supporting the Sustainable Development Goals. So, for example, there will be a Sport for Health and Wellbeing Award which supports Global Goal number 3, a Sport for Gender Equality Award, which is Global Goal number 5, and Sport for Sustainable Cities and Communities Award, Global Goal number 11. In the UK, we'd like to say congratulations to Good Gym, after it opened recently in its 50th location, Solihull. Good Gym started just over 10 years ago, with people doing good deeds whilst out on their runs, and now it has spread across the UK. Also in the UK, the Sport for Development Coalition hosted its first public event at the headquarters of Twitter UK in London. It was a really successful night with more than 130 organisations committed to Sport for Change attending, ranging from Government, Sport England and the Premier League to local charities and community groups. Watch out for more news coming soon from the Coalition. Finally, it was good to see the UK Government hold a specific meeting around the value of sport and physical activity in tackling youth crime and especially knife crime. Held as part of the Prime Minister's Serious Youth Violence Summit, Secretary of State for DCMS, Jeremy Wright, chaired a roundtable with Sports Minister Mims Davis, including sports bodies, charities and other organisations. Jeremy Wright said afterwards, Sport has the power to reach and connect people of all ages and backgrounds. We want to harness that power to encourage young people to choose positive activities that build confidence and key skills, rather than turn to crime and violence. Sports bodies already do excellent work in the community and we will work with the sector to expand sporting opportunities in youth crime hotspots to reach as many young people as possible. That's all for now. Keep up to date with the latest news by visiting www.connectsport.co.uk and www.sportandev.org. We've all been out and about doing various things and we're going to catch up on that a bit later. But firstly, Sarah, where have you been recently? I've been at the Bond Conference, which is targeted at international non-governmental organisations in development. And it was amazing because Baroness Tani Gray-Thompson was there as the keynote speaker talking about sport for good and how it can be used in the, the development space. She's an ambassador for Laureus Sport for Good. She's chair of UK Active. And even more amazingly, I managed to get an interview with her. So here it is. Yes. 
We're here at the Bonn Conference and it's a really exciting platform, I think, for sport for good and sport for development. And I've managed to get Tanny Gray-Thompson, Dame Tanny Gray-Thompson, give us a couple of minutes with the podcast. So I guess the key question for me is, what do you think the key messages we need to get across in this kind of development environment about sport for development and sport for good? I mean, it's really exciting to be at the Bonn Conference because, you know, I've kind of seeing what's gone on and you know in terms of looking at development it's really important but for, for us from a, a sports background to be here and just meeting different people is is huge because I think it's, it's got to be collaboration and working together and you know the Loris Sport for Good Foundation is, is one part of the jigsaw and there's loads of other organisations working in the space and it's finding out the ways that we, we can work together uh, and there might be some things that we can't work together on but it, it's, it's finding where we can um, bring that collective effort to, to the most use. And, and I think, you know, sharing information is really important. Um, you know, we've seen in the change in the foundation um, over a number of years, you know, 20 years ago, it was about just, you know, giving money to people and going, marvellous, off you go, lovely, welcome and take some pictures and write us a report at the end of the year. Um, but that doesn't bring about the sustainable change we want. So, you know, um, over a number of years, it's about how the projects are brought together and how we learn from each other um, and how you see what works and what doesn't. And... You know, and, and you know, if something works in one area, it doesn't mean to say it's going to work anywhere else. Or you know, there's there's just lots of things we can do by communicating and being really open about that. And um, I, th- I think that for me is great. We know sports good. We just need to be much much better at working together. Yeah, and talking about that impact, I guess helps people recognise that it's something that's worth investing in over other ways of doing it. I suppose. Well, I think with, with sport, it can be um, really good value for money. Mm. in terms of uh, it doesn't have to be uh, you know obviously money helps it does but it doesn't have to be like massive amounts of of money because sport um, is quite a level playing field in terms of if it's introduced in the right way young people have fun and actually you know young people should be having fun in their lives you know there's a lot of kids who unfortunately don't and and sport is is a way to transcend some of those things you know it transcends you know race religion (laughs) All the All things that you classic can, barriers. Things that yeah. you, you, you want it to, because actually people want to play football or, you know, they want to go surfing or they, they, they want to do things that they, they see other people doing. Um, uh, and I think as a, uh, as a kind of a subset of development, we need to be, uh, and that's what, you know, what Sport for Good Foundation do much better at, that narrative about what it actually does. You take this group of young people, you, you give them this experience and, 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 and this is what happens to most of them, mm. you know, it, it doesn't fix every wrong in the world, um, and 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 that would be, you know, not positive to kind of send that message out. But but it, it it helps so much. It helps that dialogue discussion, and you know, the stuff I've seen, you know, both when I was an athlete and then travelling with the foundation, is you just see young people coming together in a way that that they wouldn't through education or other things. But sport is the step to get into education and to understand rules and understand engagement and understand citizenship and and you know, you can quite softly deliver those things through through the medium of sport. Couldn't agree more. I suppose something that was quite striking when you were talking earlier was about the dual benefits of sport. So it's got these physical benefits and then it's also this sort of social platform, social benefit thing. Do you think that's something that we need to talk about as a dual thing or should we continue? I think often it's we either talk about the physical benefits or we talk about the social benefits and we don't really mesh them together. I wonder what your thoughts were. I think it'd be good if we can mesh them together, but it still needs to be quite um, 
a, a simple discussion because you know there's so much research out there that shows sport is good it's it's not bombarding people with mm. with that um and you know obviously being physically active is good for your health you know we know in the uk that young girls who involve themselves in two hours of physical activity a week are less likely to be teenage mums are less likely to be in abusive relationships and more likely to stay at school and more likely to have career goals so there's all this stuff we know we're not always good at telling people that um and and, and making sure that it's fun you know i think if you get a young person you, you don't need to sit them down in the room and say, right, if you do this, these are all the things you'll get from it. Mm. I think it's, it's, it's sports has to be at the heart of that um, and, and the fun and the enjoyment side. And, and the young people will, will, will see their own improvements. Um, so for me, it's, it's got to be everything. Um, but, you know, if you, if you look at the world of development, uh, you know, maybe a few years ago, sport wouldn't have been part of this discussion. Yeah. Um, but now it is, and that's partly because of the UN, because, but also because those working in development see, see the benefits that, that come from it and you know there's there's loads of different ways that we can achieve positive benefit and and it, it's using every tool in the box and that's such a tweet saying but it's, it's using everything that we can to achieve that kind of change and if you were to say what changes need to be made maybe in the UK context to increase access accessibility because we've talked and you've talked at length I guess about you know, people's perceptions about sport being this thing maybe that they experienced when they were in school and had a negative experience of it and therefore getting women into sport later on in their lives or uh, people with disabilities into sports um, if they weren't active as children. I suppose in your role as a parliamentarian or in that kind of position, mm. what changes should we be making? Um, I think it's breaking down some of those stereotypes that we see you know, boys as being, you know, sport is good for them because they need to run off all this energy. And then, you know, we have, uh, there's this view out there that women are kind of gentle and lovely and they shouldn't be sweaty. And, you know, that comes from a whole bunch, you know, it comes from the media, from magazines, uh, from social media, you know, the, you know, the perception that, you know, if you're a size zero, you'll be happy, you know, and some of that is just that's just not right, you know, for the vast majority of, of young, young women. So, you know, what I would love to see, you know, from a, almost, you know, from not long after you're born is, is looking at how we can encourage play and physical literacy. And we, we wouldn't go into school and teach children trigonometry without teaching them basic maths. But sometimes we expect them to play sport without learning the basics of physical literacy mm. and, and spatial awareness and, and just learning how to run and jump and skip and throw and catch. Yes. So, you know, for me, it's those building blocks are a really uh, in, important part of it. So if there's something I would change. You know, we've, we've got to, you know, we've got to look at workplace health. We've got to look at active ageing. But, but if we don't change it for young people, then we're, as a society, as a British society, we're going to struggle. So, you know, unfortunately, there's loads, loads of bits, loads of levers to pull yeah. and loads of bits. But um, if you don't have that platform in the first place, you're constantly battling against that. Yeah. And I think, you know, when we talk about sport, we, we think we're a country that loves sport. We're actually... We, we are. We're, we're a country that loves watching sport. Yeah. Um, and it, we, we've got to make sure that it's fun and enjoyable. And there are times that it'll be hard and challenging and difficult and winning and losing and all that stuff's not, not easy to, always to deal with. But we, we've got to keep that kind of fun element as part of it to, to encourage people to, to think about it through the whole of their lives. Um, and, you know, that's... And, and, and that's when you can have the secondary messages about getting into education you know one of the, the projects we support in, in Rio the, the children who come to the boxing project are not, not allowed to bring their guns 
You know, wow. I mean, that's like you safety know. 101 kind of. Yeah, and, and you get so, and then children are coming to the project because they want to be part of it. Yeah. So it's, and I think it's also it's about giving young people stuff to do. I think you know the way the world's changed in terms of technology and, and gaming and. You know the, the the gap between the haves and have nots. Um, I, I think can potentially be bigger, but also knowing that the gap is there is potentially bigger. Mm. So you know we, we've got to give young people stuff to do, so they're not um, just just feel that they have no value, they have no voice, they have nothing to do with their lives. I think it might be good to just finish up with. I know it was asked already, but your sort of proudest achievement or the thing you're proudest of in terms of sport for development or your your involvement, I guess, in sport and physical activity and this kind of development space in general. The thing I'm really proud of with the Sport for Good Foundation is that it's evolved and changed and um, has, has opened itself up to doing things in a different way. Um, and, you know, the, this is about learning from, from the projects and helping the projects become sustainable amongst themselves. You know, the foundation is not the sole supporter of, of projects. You know, it's got to be in partnership um, and, and that can be, you know, with quite a, a different uh, number of organisations. Um, but it's it's about um, supporting, the pro- connecting the projects to to each other, and that's some of the best stuff. You know, I mean, visiting the projects is great, and you know, really conscious you shouldn't be there as kind of a royal visit. But mm. you know, when you take, um, you know, Kapil Dev, who's huge in, I mean, huge in India cricket, you take him to the girls' orphanage. Um, that did so much to change local people's view of, of the orphanage. So, you know, it, it's been smart about how you, how you use it. Um, but, uh, and, and I think it's it's about how people can talk authentically. You know, it's, it's the, the stats are really important, but it's actually when you see the difference it makes to young people, yeah. that, that does so much to, to convince others. Because that's, we've still got a job to do to convince other people that, that, that sport has a, a huge part to play in it. You know, I kind of think with Bond, they, they get it, which is great. Yes. But there's lots of people outside yeah. who, who, who don't get that. You kind of, you know, my frustration is look at young people and, you know, the stuff in the media is all about the negative stuff and, you know, and it's, it's London's tough at the minute, stabbings and yeah. murders and, and, and actually it's, okay, right, how, how do we change that? And, mm. and that's what we, we have to be looking at a bit more. And I think this is a really fantastic opportunity, having you speaking at the start of a conference, as someone who's been involved in sport, you know, sports development, sport for good since I was 16 years old, 13 years down the line, here I am, and one of the most amazing para-athletes of our time is at the front of the stage talking about how sport can change people's lives, and I genuinely do believe that it can, and you're quite right, that stuff around, like, individual people's experiences is really a difficult thing to talk and to sell because you know mm. often funders and things like that want to know what's your impact across the board but sometimes it's the individual stories and yeah. like I feel that in myself and how sport changed me and mm. made me the person that I am yeah. and how we can do that to better convince people that this is something that's worth investing and like I say having someone like you front and centre opening a conference like this is you know amazing so thank you so much for thank you. Thank you so much for coming along and doing it. And it's brilliant to be here. It was just, you know, because actually I've just met a whole range of people that I, I kind of hadn't met before. No. So do you know what? That, that, that's the, the best thing about this. You know, whether people listen to me speak on stage or not, actually those connections will, will be the thing that moves it forward another notch. So it was really great to speak with 
Baroness Tani Gray-Thompson, hear her views on sport for development, hear her use how sport can be used. In general, it was amazing to have sport in such a prominent place in a conference that was really focused along more traditional development lines. And it was really great because there were a bunch of organisations there representing the idea of sport for good or sport for development. So we had Change Foundation, there was Fight for Peace, there was Tackle Africa, and then the Bond Conference themselves, or Bond overall, actually has a sport for development group. So I managed to catch up with a couple of the guys who were there from the different organisations to find out what they got out of the experience of being in a conference which was not really sports orientated but was more generally development orientated. So I'm here with two of the guys from Tackle Africa who've been manning the stand at the Bond Conference. So we've got... Benji Sunblad. And what's your job? So I am events and fundraising here in the UK uh, for Tackle Africa. For Tackle Africa. Yeah. And my name's Tobias Smith and my job is slightly different. It's not just working with Tackle Africa, it's working with all the organisations within the Sports Development and Peace Bond Network. Cool. So I uh, facilitate the group essentially. Nice. Yeah. You sound like exactly the sort of person we should get on the on the pod to. What can, <laughs> what can, can they say? What can they say? A whole episode for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so we were just having a little chat there about your experience here at the conference. So what's been the most frequent thing people have come up and asked you? I think they. So we've got a big goal set up, and they're kind of like, "What do you do?" Yeah, that, that for sure. That's the main thing. And what's your response been to that? Usually, well, I think with Tackle Africa, it, I guess that because it's the big flag in the middle of the goal, that's what everyone's kind of drawn to. And people have got the Tackle Africa yeah. badge on as yeah, well. Yeah. But the response with Tackle Africa is quite easy when it's straightforward because the message that Tackle Africa send out is very clear. Yeah. Um, so it's straight away sexual health education through football, football coaching. Yeah. yeah. And I, I've, and straight away you're able to tell them in that line exactly what you do and clarify that with them. So that resonates pretty quickly and how have people responded to that? There's been yeah massive interest like combining education and sport I think is it's getting bigger and bigger there's it's getting much more popular and people are actually seeing how much of an impact you can make in in communities through sport. Yeah. So I've but either people have known about it and been interested in how we do it, yeah. or they they aren't really aware of how much of an impact sports development can make on, yeah. on a community. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been a lot of intrigue. Yeah. And yeah, it's been generally uh, generally quite popular. Mm. Do you think having uh, Dame Tanny Gray Thompson at the start helped drive traffic towards yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. It's so we, having the opening speaker of someone of that kind of caliber automatically brings the whole eyes to sport for development and peace and there's a few people that come over to our stand and we've got laureus bought for goods leaflets and brochures on our desk and people have come over because of that and so it's it's meant that as soon as they come into the conference sport for development may not have been something that they traditionally linked in, within the sector but obviously if you've got someone of that cloud and that caliber speaking about yeah, it, yeah. it it brings all eyes kind of and to she us spoke really. so well. yeah. yeah yeah she was she was an amazing advocate for it wasn't yeah. she you've got a bit of a more difficult thing to try and explain beyond tackle Africa yeah, as well I, so in regards to obviously we're here at the bond conference but i think some of the people here don't understand that how 
the bond network is kind of set up. So within the bond network, you have lots of subcategories. So you have a disability subcategory. You've got the sport for development and peace subcategory. You've, I think it's a Brexit subcategory. So it's kind of what it does. It allows for everyone to come together with um, similar kind of mindset and visions. Come and to, you get the opportunity then to get everyone sat in the room and discuss about the problems. So for, for example, sport development and peace. Um, our next meeting is on safeguarding. Mm. So it allows us to get all uh, different organisations in one room speaking about safeguarding within the sector and how we can improve that and move forward from there. But and sometimes, like you said, that can be hard to... To explain yeah. in a one we, sentence. Yeah, so we tackle Africa, yep, sexual health education through football coaching. Sport development and peace. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, 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 yeah, it's, it's, and it's Brexit gets often. a mention anyway. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So... I think our listeners would probably be interested in knowing, you know, how, if at all, they can get involved with the Bond's sort of sport development. Yeah, okay. So if on the Bond website, if you go onto the Bond website, you can register on there. Once you register, it asks for your organisation, your job role, your name, obviously. While you're on there then, um, there's loads, like I said, loads of kind of subcategories and subgroups. If there is a group, then you can request to join called the Sport for Development and Peace subgroup please feel free to join it <laughs> um, and then you'll get all our invites to meetings and events that we're holding through the group through, through our new email awesome. and keep it keep in touch with us that way that sounds really good mm. and is that something that people should do on an individual level or is that sort of organisational level um, organisation level brilliant but even on an individual level because there's uh, newsletters can be posted on there it's, if, if you're a member of the group you can post on there and so if you're interested in development uh, well sport for development or you're, and you want to get to know more great join that and find out that way or if you want to if you're working within sport for development yourself then great join that way and uh, tell people about yourself and then what have you guys got next up after today after today we have well in the UK we've got a few uh, fundraising yes. events coming up the big one will be the football marathons yeah. obviously so they're uh, like 12 hour endurance events nice. they, they sound brutal but they're actually really really class days so we've got one in London on the 22nd of June nice. and one in Brighton on the 20th of July yeah and where can people um, sign up to those? so on our website tackleafrica.org or email me on Benji at Tackle Africa. Is that with a J and an I? J and an I. Yeah. Well done. Thank Thanks. you. <laughs> or email Ben and it will come to me as well. We set up about six different okay, ones. Just in case. <laughs> just in case. Perfect. Awesome. Any take-home messages that you would have from this conference? I think it was run really well. I think the, what people are doing, not just in sports development, but, but the whole sector is amazing. They're so, such amazing innovations that are happening and yeah if anyone ever gets a chance to come to Sunrise it is it's an eye-opener and brilliant things are being done. What I'd like to add to that is so at the Sport for Development Bond group it's great getting everyone together in one room but this allows it the wider kind of field of that you've got all development organizations in one place so it's, it's amazing what we can do on within our individual subgroups but when you have everyone from all groups here and even people that aren't members of the Bond Network, that's even, that's even better as well. Awesome. Thanks very much, guys. Okay, thank you. No Enjoy worries. the rest thank of the day. You. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. 
Sarah, you, you were obviously in the room when uh, Tally Gray Thompson gave her keynote. Did you pick up the reaction of people who weren't involved in the sport for development sector and what their kind of thoughts were? Was it kind of a positive reaction? I think people were had their interest peaked. I'm not necessarily going to say that people were convinced in the first go, but then a lot of people, when I made it clear what my sort of background was, were really interested to find out more. So I think more than anything, it opened the door for conversations for people to go, oh, this wasn't something that I'd been particularly thinking about, but how could we use it when we're talking about reaching young people, for example? So I'm not sure everyone was entirely convinced, but there was certainly more thought about the idea of using sport. And what made people not convinced? Did you pick anything up about that? I didn't pick anything up in particular. I think in general, the barriers tend to be the sort of fear that it's something that needs real specialist knowledge to be able to do and that it's a little bit um, unique and different. And it's something I've been thinking about in general. You know, we talk about this idea of a sport for development sector, but actually that's maybe not the best phrase to use because it does give the indication that this is something that only sport for development can do really it's just a philosophy it's an approach so maybe it's just that mindset of this isn't something we've done before do we have the skills do we have the expertise do we have the knowledge to be able to use this in our development work yeah i mean sport is just a medium it could be art it could be anything um but but i think that there is stigma around the word word sport and there is stigma around coaching so it's kind of interesting to see what international development professionals who obviously we're trying to reach and, and broaden the reach of sport for development what they see as, as the problems for it for it getting wider i definitely think it's more people who are sporty in general who are interested in having that conversation first what if any were the big themes uh, apart from sport that were being discussed there as was always the case, you end up being focused on the themes that you go out to look for. So my other interest is in capacity strengthening. So there was a lot of information out there about how we can make sure that when we're working in partnerships and we look to do capacity building of, for example, organisations that are um, in the countries that we're working with, that that capacity building is optimised, that it's built into programmes from the beginning so that we can create ownership from within the community and I think that's something that sport for development in general can still learn from and and mobilize in the work that they do. I think just listening to both of those interviews it was clear that collaboration is the key and I guess collaboration doesn't just have to be with other sports organizations there has to be tie-ups that are available outside of sport where sport can just play its part. That's definitely crucial we know that partnerships for the goals is one of the big key um, sustainable development goals and it was always what is in people's minds when they're working in the in this space so I think that's how sport would ideally want to position itself. I think for me it's what uh, reaches the most people and what gets the best bang for your buck and uh, so if you if sport is really effective at engaging young people in an issue say uh, knife crime or malaria or, or whatever then it should just be viewed with that sort of objective lens not the fact that it that it's sport but I think that we've still got a little way to go in that because people think it's quite a specialist thing. And you'd have heard at the end of the interview there that Bond have a sport for development group that sits underneath them. So you can sign up for that online and we'll put the information on the blog. Dave, you've been at a conference as well. Yes, I have, excitingly, at Twitter UK uh, headquarters. So this was a conference which was organised by the Sport for Development Coalition. Uh, and organised actually by Simon Lansley and uh, Sarah Mortevoise, who we've had on the pod previously. 
I'm mean, going to guess it was a bit of a rallying call for quite a few organisations uh, in the coalition uh, and really to launch their, their work around unifying outcomes uh, and getting a framework for the Sport for Development Coalition. So I guess this was more about trying to get people already bought into the concept uh, to sing, sing from the uh, same hymn sheet. I think it was a really interesting conference and we had some great speakers, uh, many of whom are on Twitter. And it's great to meet some of the people that we've interacted on Twitter. So shout out to people like Lee Parker. So there are a couple of questions for me from the conference. The first one, it'd be great to get your views, which actually came from Max Rushton, who is a radio DJ here in the UK, was how do we get more stories of sport for development in the uh, in the mainstream media? And there wasn't a great answer on the night, but I'd be interested to hear what you guys think. I think two things spring to mind instantly on that and one would be we've touched on in the pod would be the celebrity angle of it and and using the power of celebrities and celebrities doing good to to drive the new stories but outside of that I think the bottom line is it comes down to proving success we need more evidence that proves that these things are having a difference making a difference and then they become newsworthy hopefully I think I'd draw an example from the cricket world, um, I've recently seen quite a lot of coverage, I think it was in the Telegraph, about the great work that's being done in Lebanon around using cricket and refugees. Now, obviously, we have a bit of a biased focus towards pieces of news that are related to cricket. But the thing that was um, so powerful about that was that the journalists had actually seen the project in action. And potentially that is part of what we need to do as well, is get people to come along and see it in in action because and I know that's a terrible classic cliche that we talk about in sport for development we know it works because we see it working in the field but for journalists that's that can be the hook and so if we're talking about the media then yes getting people to sessions and activities might be the way forward so my question is should this be something that's on the sports pages or should it be in the main body of the paper interesting question I think it's always likely to be in the sport section and I, and I think because people will look at it with it with a, through a sports lens rather than a, a doing good lens, and maybe that's part of the problem. Uh, what do you think, Lee? Comes back to collaboration again, I guess. If it's if it's a purely sports thing, it, it stays in the sports pages. But maybe if we do get really good collaborations, then it, it can move from the back pages towards the front. And just talking on that uh, collaboration line, the Sport for Development Coalition is doing some really great work in trying to align different organisations here in the UK. So really trying to get that movement going to make a stronger collective voice. Uh, one of the things they are doing is trying to uh, unite people on what outcomes they're looking to measure. And they've actually got a tender out at the minute around the framework. Um, their key focus initially is well-being, which I thought was quite an interesting focus it's often quite a fluffy difficult to measure thing i wonder whether we wanted something with harder outcomes to engage people what, what do you guys think i have to admit to being a bit skeptical about this i think if we want to position ourselves as um, people who are truly doing development through sport then really we need to align our outcomes with the development outcomes of the people we're partnering with not with um, a sort of generalized sport for development kind of outcome because as i've said earlier the sport for development sector isn't a sector. It's a group of organisations that are using sport in different ways to achieve different outcomes. And so trying to bring it all under one umbrella feels kind of pointless to me. And I know that's uh, possibly a controversial thing to say, but 
I guess that would be my position on it. It's a difficult one because, as you say, there are a lot of people doing great work in different areas. So it might be knife crime, it might be literacy, it might be getting older people more active, all of which have very different outcomes. I guess well-being broadly sits over the top of that. And the question is, do, do we need one out, outcome framework? Is, is that of value? I'd need a much clearer definition of what well-being means for a start. I mean, I think you, could, you can read that in so many different ways. Did they, did they break down that definition at all anymore? No, but I think they're going to use the ONS, the Office of National Statistics version of well-being, and, and you can compare that against national statistics. So I guess there is some some value in there. I, I think for me, just your comment that it's so difficult to define really doesn't help because I think it's too difficult to grasp as a concept. I think where sport really works is, for example, getting people employment where you can actually really measure those hard statistics or just some of the great stories that come back. So I think it's a difficult one. How do you capture all the great work that's been done? Yeah, as we've heard on the pod many times, that's what most of us are all wrestling with, I think. So whilst uh, Sarah and I have been at conferences, Lee, you've actually been out there doing some sport for development work. What have you been up to? Yeah, I've been out and about in Uganda on another Cricket Without Boundaries project. So we were in three towns in the west of Uganda. A very hot week, one, but we managed to coach uh, about 7,000 kids over those two weeks and more importantly, got across lots of important health messages, talked a lot about stigma and discrimination, gender equality. A real plus point for me of this project was we had three great festivals where we brought all the schools together to play cricket against each other share the messaging, and we had HIV testing at all of these festivals. So here's a one-minute clip from Isaac explaining why his kids really enjoyed the festival. Uh, the director of Family Spirit Children's Centre. Family Spirit is uh, uh, an orphanage with children directly affected and affected by HIV and AIDS, whereby I'm one of the uh, founders, and the founder, I tested positive in 1995, and I'm very lucky to still be living. And I'm so happy of this team, which came. It has been so amazing that it has put our children so happy. And our children, those who are living with HIV, those who are directly affected with HIV, have got a bigger chance to play with other children. They've mixed up themselves with over one, about 1,000 children, of which was not happening the other days. Other children could fear the children of family spirit because of HIV. But today, they are playing together. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. I loved receiving that interview from you, Lee, when you sent it through to us live from the field, practically. What's the sort of role for guys like Isaac and CWB to make sure that the work is sustainable, built into communities? They're huge. And and finding good people, as we do all over the place, is, is absolutely critical. And clearly, Isaac's one of them. He's doing amazing work at the orphanage there. I think there was... 230 kids in that orphanage and lots of those with HIV or who'd lost parents to HIV. So incredible role models, full stop. Also spoke a lot to people from a small town in the West Cassese, which has now really embraced cricket as a hub. And they've now got 12 people from that region who are receiving free secondary school education through cricket. And again, that's just being driven in that region from about four or five people who've you know, really latched on to the idea of sport and the benefit of sport, and in this case, cricket. And it's it's just changed the region's perception of, of, of cricket. It's no longer a football town. And yeah, finding those people and really looking after them is absolutely priceless, I think. The thing that I really enjoyed about that Cassese festival that 
you and I have both seen photos and videos from, is that there was very clear equal opportunities for boys and girls to take part. Absolutely. And again, out of the out of the 12 children that have received secondary school education, I think eight of them are girls. So the girls are getting a real opportunity on the back of the cricket as well. And I know similar things are happening in, in Rwanda through through our ambassador Eric there and his Endera girls. So, yeah, really fantastic to see that we're not only having an impact on cricket, but education and, and clearly, you know, breaking down the stigmas and the barriers is, is a huge thing of what we try and do. Lee, you've been on these trips for around 10 years now, and I guess a different generation of, of children are now turning up to the project. Have you noticed a, a change in attitudes about things like HIV, about stigma, about involving girls as, as you've been going on these trips? I think certainly. Certainly the, the, the overarching knowledge around HIV seems way more advanced than it was the 10 years ago when we started. It varies slightly from country to country, but I think in general, children from a younger age are definitely better informed and have better knowledge around HIV. And a key factor in that is I think that leads to a, a lot better or a lot less discrimination than there was previously. And that was just seen in, in the festival where the kids with HIV were playing with the non-kids. You know, no issues, no mentions of it. And, and likewise, I think, the boys and the girls playing together, that was something that, to be fair, always happened in Africa once we set these things up. It was never really an issue and, and just continues to this day. And I think that's the, one of the wonderful things about cricket is that at that age group, the boys and the girls can play together. And we've just always seen that, I think, on our projects. I guess one of the challenges with cricket is around equipment and decent access to facilities. So you talked about Katezi really embracing cricket, but is there kind of a ceiling that they're going to reach? And how do, how do we get around that sort of capital expenditure and investment into infrastructure that charities like us or that Cricket Without Boundaries can't really do? Absolutely. And I think that's, it's going to be a huge factor going forward. The good thing that's really happened, Cassese and other districts that we've worked in, is that the Ugandan Cricket Association have also partnered with a pharmaceutical company. And it's a pharmaceutical company who's pumping some money into building the artificial wickets, buying the trophies for the festivals and using that as part of the uh, CSR. So I think like we talked about earlier, it, it comes to collaboration really. And I think that's worked really well there. But cricket is a game that struggles because of that. And especially when we're trying to make the transition from softball cricket to hardball cricket, I think that's always going to be really, really difficult. And I don't have any, any simple answers to that. It's, it's very easy to get the children playing with wind balls and with tennis balls. That next tier up of where we'd, you know, we'd like people to go and we'd like people to develop as hardball cricketers, that's going to be a huge, huge difficult stepping stone in lots of the regions just because of equipment and especially facilities. I think the thing that's interesting about that is, you know, when we set out to deliver CWB activities, we might think, yes, it would be nice to have players reaching to an international level, but it's not at the heart of what we're aiming to do. We're trying to create cricket as a space for good social goods, community good, whatever that looks like in each community. But in order for cricket to be an appealing option for people, then they want to see a pathway. And so we are kind of caught in a, between a rock and a hard place in that, in a little bit of a way in that you still need to support cricket development and the growth of the game if you want cricket to be taken up as a space for social change. We're the Change Foundation and you're listening to the Good Sports Podcast. It's quiz time. Uh, in this month, in April, on April the 6th, it was the International Day for Sport, for Development and Peace, 
which talked about the different languages of sport and how sport can cut through those different languages. So I've slightly turned that on its head for the quiz. Um, and I've got a few questions, five questions, which talk about famous sporting phrases. So it's simply buzz in. And Lee, you are 410 down to Sarah, I believe, as you wanted to carry it over into 2019. Confident on this one? I'd like to say that I'm confident, but no, a 10-4 record shows where my confidence level should stand, I think, really. <laughs> I feel this would appeal to your strengths, Lee. I think you'll be fine. I like the way that you've tried to do that, just so that you can gloat even more when you win. <laughs> Psychological mind games there from Sarah. Correct. Right, you, you ready? Ready. Yes, we're ready. Yeah, so simple questions, just buzz in if you know the answer, and then if the person who buzzes in doesn't get it, the next person will get all the question. Okay, question one. This term, hat-trick, was coined in the 1800s when players performed a hat-trick and then a collection was passed around after the game in a hat to reward them. But in which sport did this occur? Buzz. Lee. I'm going to guess cricket. You are correct. (sighs) Yeah, so a nice little tradition of a little collection going round, and then the uh, term was coined. Number two, the term love, which is used in tennis and other racket sports, derives from a French word, which means the what in English? Buzz. Sarah. The egg. Correct. So, luth. So this was obviously an egg looking like a zero. Well done. Number three, which football term derives from when sellers in the 19th century bulked out bags of this spice with little stones to trick or deceive the buyers? Buzz. Yes, Lee. Nutmeg. Correct. Well done. Oh, get in there. Got a a bit of a tricky one, but well done. Yes, it was a long pause, but it it came to mind eventually. Very good. Right, 2-1 to Lee. Question four, which animal-based sport first coined the term ringer? Buzz. Yes, Sarah. Bullfighting? Incorrect, Lee. Animal-based sport. I'm going to go horse racing then. You are correct. So that was when a horse was substituted in the last minute at a different pace to influence the betting and they would ring that in. So hence, a ringer is someone who replaces someone who should be playing. That's very interesting. Uh, So, Lee, you take an unassailable 3-1 lead. Thank you very much. Let me bask in the glory for a moment before you ask the last question. Well, I think you might enjoy the last question, Lee. The phrase, in one's wheelhouse, derives from which sport? Buzz. Buzz. Sarah, definitely that time. Baseball. Correct. That refers to the range of the hitter. But obviously, Lee uses that a fair amount and also likes baseball. Correct. I I should have got that one. I I was, again, too busy basking. (laughs) But Lee, 3-2. Not much in terms of sport for development there, but I thought a fun little quiz to tie in with the day. Certainly like the ringer one. That was definitely something I've not heard before. Very good. I did have a um, a tiebreaker actually related to baseball. Yep. So a baseball game lasts, what, three or four hours, Lee? Yeah, just over three hours. They keep trying to shorten it, but I think it's still about three hours. Yeah. So how much on average is that when the ball is actually in play? That is a very good question. I know American football, which lasts about the same as something about 11 minutes of action, I have a feeling it might actually be even less in baseball. So I'm going to go eight minutes. Beg? I'm going to go slightly more. I'm going to go 12. Sarah, you save a bit of face. It's actually 18 minutes, which seems very low. More action in baseball than American football, I think, then. Just as many adverts, I think. That is true. Well, that wraps up the quiz. Lee, you've clawed one back to get to 10-5, a nice even number. How are you feeling? 
Yeah, much more confident now. And 10-5, it feels within touching distance. So that wraps up the quiz and wraps up this episode. Sarah, what have we got coming up on the next couple of pods? So I've got an episode around Healthy Stadia, which is an organisation that's using research to think about how big sports organisations can use their spaces to improve the health of their fans. And I've been chatting to Richard Lote, who's an expert in esports and development. So it's some really interesting stuff about how we can use gaming for good. So if you've got thoughts, comments or questions about those two topics, please do get in touch via the usual ways, which are Twitter, where we are at Good Sportscast. Or you can drop us an email, info at goodsportscast.org.uk. Or follow the blog, goodsportscast.org.uk. As always, please help us out by rate, reviewing and subscribing. And of course, telling your friends about the pod. It really does help us. And just left to say a big thank you for listening and a goodbye from the Good Sports. Bye. Bye.